0: Welcome to the Team of a Lifetime Show. This podcast is all about helping you propel your team's performance to an extraordinary level. I'm Sally Love, your host of the Team of a Lifetime Show. Tune in as my expert guests and I tackle the tough challenges teams have to overcome to achieve success. You'll get insight, powerful proven practices, and the inspiration you need to lead effectively, build an amazing team culture, and deliver results that people didn't even believe were possible. Let's get started. Today's guest has a passion for helping develop construction team members so that they can make a positive, productive, and meaningful contribution to the construction industry. Thousands of men and women have benefited from his leadership, his mentoring, and his encouragement over the years. He's a great team player and he knows how to build great teams. He's kind, wise, and thoughtful and always eager to help others succeed. And he's my great friend, Tom Feduric. Welcome to the show, Tom.
1: Uh, thank you, Sally. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to be with you today. And uh, I truly consider this an honor to participate uh, in this discussion with you. You've been a Wonderful mentor to me and a great friend through the years. And I appreciate you very much.
0: Well, I've been really looking forward to our conversation today. And I know that our listeners are going to gain a lot from it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. And I'll um, ask you my first question I have for you. You have a real passion, Tom, for pouring into people in the construction industry. I have watched you help them excel individually and as part of a team. How did your interest in construction originate?
1: I started my career in construction uh, somewhat by accident. Uh, As a 16-year-old high school student, I was looking for something to do during the summer uh, that would get me outdoors. I had caddied uh, in a previous um, town that I lived in. Uh, I was a very good caddy. Uh, did that for a, probably three summers uh, growing up. Uh, that opportunity wasn't available to me when I moved to Greenville, uh, but I knew I wanted to work outside. And I had a friend uh, invite me to work for the summer with his family's asphalt paving crew. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, I didn't know uh, what that meant to work on a fabric <laughs> paper. And, and so I jumped right into it. Uh, I fell in love with the job and uh, loved the guys uh, that I worked with. And it, it was all guys at that point. Uh, every summer, I worked uh, during high school and during college. That's how I was able to uh, pay my way through school. Back then, uh, waxing back a bit, um, you could work a summer and earn enough to pay tuition and and room and board. So, it was a great um, job. Uh, loved the people. It was a very diverse group of people that I worked with, as you might can imagine. But they were just honest people, uh, strong work ethics demonstrated, uh, and they were they were people who loved to teach, uh, and uh, they loved to create a team that. Um, where where everyone had a part uh, and, and worked together to, whether it was a road or a parking lot uh, or even a driveway. Uh, but I never thought of doing that as a career. In fact, growing up, I did, didn't even know construction was a career. Uh, I guess I became to think it was something you did in the summer uh, to uh, earn money for school. I knew that I wanted to work in human resources. Uh, my father had worked in production, and manufacturing, and he thought that I would have a knack for that based on the people he worked with. Uh, he did not have an education. He started working at 15, and he worked for 50 years with the same company uh, and retired at age 65. So he always encouraged me to uh, work in some type of Personnel management, as we referred to it uh, at that time. Uh, textiles were king when I graduated with an administrative management degree. Uh, when I was in Greenville interviewing with some textile companies, my uh, summer employer, i have stopped by to see them, and they were curious why I didn't want to go to work with them. Uh, of course, I, I said, I don't really know of a job for me here with my with my degree. Uh, but they were growing at the time. They had grown from a small family business to a good-sized medium uh, construction company. And um, because they were growing, they needed some help with uh, hiring people with their personnel management. And they were just uh, issued the federal OSHA safety regulations for construction. That was when... Uh, the OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, was introduced, and they knew they needed help uh, to get that implemented and and to manage safety as they were growing. So my first job, uh, you know, I realized I knew that business pretty well in the field. I knew the people and loved the people, and I thought, well, maybe maybe that's what I should do. And uh, but in the beginning, I was a part time. Project manager and a part-time safety and personnel manager. Uh, fortunately for the company and for me, uh, they grew enough that my personnel and safety managing became a full-time job. Uh, I was not a very good project manager. Uh, I just didn't have the mindset, the the understanding, the engineering background uh, to to be a project manager. Uh, but uh, loved the people and uh, loved construction and and had the opportunity after that to work with uh, other uh, contractors, uh, particularly general contractors in concrete paving and in building construction.
0: You know, Tom, I just learned a lot. You and I have been friends for years and years and years And I just learned a lot that I didn't know about how you got into the construction industry. Thank you so much for sharing that.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It was a great introduction and and it's been a wonderful career.
0: So the construction industry is exciting. People say that all the time. It's exciting. They get to build things. They get to make things happen. But it's also stressful. There's a steady stream of deadlines to meet and and it seems like there's always problems to solve. I mean, that's just the nature of a capital project. And it seems like that often conflict arises. Would you give me your take on conflict? Is conflict good or bad?
1: Sally, I, I think when you have a, an effective team and where there is, is trust, uh, where there's respect for others, I, th- I think that's paramount uh, that. Uh, Everyone shows respect for others. Conflict, I think, can actually add value to the project uh, and and to the construction process of putting work in place. Uh, It can be healthy, I think, for the team. We say steel, sharpen steel. And I think in that way, uh, conflict can bring about uh, good discussion uh, among the team, uh, members, uh, get to where they're not shy about speaking up, uh, about voicing their opinions or their ideas. Uh, and I also think that managing conflict effectively, um, people learn to listen well. We know that effective listening is key to communication and, and to getting to understanding. Uh, so I think when we manage conflict in a healthy manner, uh, we do learn to listen better. Uh, I, I like to think of, you know, the, the word conflict, you, you could think of battle or you can think of war. Uh, but I like to think of the term as, as a struggle. It's, it's not a fight or a battle, but it's, it's a struggle. I, I remember being told the story of how a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly as, as they, Get out of that state of, of cocoon. They, they have to struggle to, to make that change. And if, if you were to go and, and try to help them by pulling the cocoon apart, they won't survive because they, uh, they don't become strong enough. So that conflict, uh, is, is helpful. Uh, so it, it, it to complete the process of, of going through the exercise of listening to opinions, listening to ideas, uh, we don't let our differences define us. We don't focus on different opinions. Uh, rather, we focus through that conflict, through that struggle, uh, we focus on the common objectives we have. So. Uh, well-managed conflict can bring out the best ideas, the best solutions for the team, uh, and uh, a true win-win situation uh when it's managed well. So I I think it's it's good for the construction process. A friend of mine, a friend of yours, uh Keith Poole, um he presented a paper on uh the title of it was Swimming with the Salmon. Uh and the point of his paper was. Uh, talking about how effective conflict, managing conflict well, uh, comparing it to how the salmon have to swim against the current, swim upstream, uh, and go through that uh, that conflict to get to where they need to be uh, for uh, uh, for their story.
0: Tom, that is so interesting. I I have never heard conflict referred to as a struggle. And the way that you just shared that is tremendous. I, if we could change the word conflict to struggle on projects and inside construction companies, just think how much more productive people would be.
1: I, I agree. I agree. Of course, you, you have the there has to be that uh, individual who eventually makes uh, the final decision and brings the team together once that decision is made. Uh, But that struggle going through that process uh, can be very helpful.
0: And that's how people get better, because no one person has all the answers. So it's through that struggle that we get better, right?
1: Exactly, right.
0: So how important is listening and understanding stakeholder expectations on a construction project?
1: Oh, Sally, I, th- I think that's key. As I, as I mentioned, uh, effective listening is a huge element uh, to proper communication, to getting to understanding. Um, understanding each stakeholder's uh, expectations is very important to project success. Uh, if, if we can define effective communication simply as getting to understanding, uh, I think we realize then that it, it's important to uh comprehend, uh, to appreciate uh the expectations of each member. Uh each member uh brings those expectations, and they if they're clearly expressed, clearly defined, uh that can only be done by others listening well, asking confirming questions, asking for more information when needed, um, the understanding others' expectations. I mean, that becomes the target and, and the, the objective of the project. We aim for that target to, to fully understand what expectations are uh, so that we um, can meet those expectations or understand quickly uh, when we're not meeting expectations, uh, and again, when we think of conflict in a in a negative sense, missed expectations are a major reason for conflict. Uh, that's more of a fight and more of a of a uh, of a battle, if you will.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more because when one stakeholder expects something to happen. From another stakeholder and it doesn't happen, then they start to lose trust, they start to lose confidence in that stakeholder. But it may clearly have just been that they didn't have an understanding of what the expectations were in the first place.
1: Definitely. It's a a two-way street. It it has to be expressed in a a clear manner. And um, then has to be comprehended by the by the listener, uh, and and that that takes effort.
0: Yeah, and it takes it takes time to get those stakeholders together and have that dialogue. And too often, what I've experienced is that people are just so anxious to start moving dirt or or doing whatever they've got to do that they're like, "Well, we don't have time for that. We we just got to get well." you need to make time for that because you're going to have to take time out later to resolve the negative conflict that arises if you don't do it.
1: Definitely. Definitely. We we can't work off of assumptions. We know that. And uh, so it is important to uh, not be too quick to move dirt and, and, and place concrete uh, to get the job rolling. Uh, uh, But that time that is spent to, uh, get uh, the expectations out to fully understand them and then um, set a, uh, a goal, uh, set objectives to meet those expectations, uh, I think is time well spent. Yes, you're right.
0: Well, and you just mentioned the word assumptions. We can't make assumptions. And I'll tell you what I have seen over my many, many years of helping on capital projects. I see a lot of assumptions that people say, well, we've all worked on so many capital projects. We know what the owner expects. We know what the contractor expects. We know what the architect or engineer expects. No, you don't. You can't. You do not know because every project is unique. You can't say just because I have experience in this industry and maybe I've worked on 50 projects before that you know what their expectations are. We don't know what their expectations are.
1: Oh, you're exactly right. And I think, um, I mean, that's going to bring the team uh, together. It's when you start out a a project, a large capital project, you have you have a lot of experience with those. I'm I'm used to. more medium sized to somewhat large projects uh, you know twelve months to to two years maybe but um, once you you know everybody comes to the table with their own personal goals and objectives uh but I remember a company president uh, one time at, at a typical annual meeting uh where where you hear a lot about processes for the company and standards of of ways of doing things, but one comment he made. He said, our trade partners have to succeed. We can only be successful when our trade partners are successful. And uh, his point was, we've got to understand the expectations. We've got to come together for common objectives and goals. And we've got to help our trade partners succeed. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it, not to take advantage, not to try to write contracts that are one-sided in favor of of the general contractor, but what what can we do to help the team? And uh, I, I, I think you're exactly right.
0: So how do you believe that understanding these stakeholder expectations helps teams perform better and achieve their goals?
1: Well, I think that very reason that you get them out there. Uh, so, so you, you know what they are and you talk about them. If, if this initial conversation you've had this planning, uh, to come together and understand expectations, then you're, you're going to measure how well you're achieving those, how, how well you're reaching your target goals. Uh, so everyone shares the, uh, success. Everyone understands that these are the expectations we're going to talk about them we're going to measure them and it's going to be an important part of how we work together. Um, so what gets measured gets done uh, what's important gets measured and as you are uh, communicating that on a regular basis, uh, I, I think it's just a natural flow uh, that we're going to Understand the target, and we're going to reach those goals as we work together.
0: Yeah, and it's a common target that we're yes. all working towards. Yes, rather exactly than
1: right.
0: yeah, rather than each stakeholder having their own individual goals that they're working towards.
1: Exactly. Uh, I uh, talked with an individual with uh, a company that did a project for the uh, Cherokee Nation. Uh, actually, built a hospital and. Uh, They did the project in an integrated project delivery contract. And he explained that 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 pot of money that was available for for, for profit uh, was shared by the entire team. And he said uh, he looked out of his office window one day and he noticed that uh, the electrician uh, crew was carrying uh, sheetrock material into the building. For the sheetrock contract and, and he discovered that they understood that there was a particular goal and a, and a serious need to meet a schedule. And the electrician knew that if the sheetrock contractor couldn't get that done, that the whole project, even the electrical contractor would suffer. And so they just jumped in and helped. They, they were helping the team meet their overall uh, singular common objective.
0: That is a great illustration on working towards one common goal. So are there some other practical things that come to your mind that teams can do to ensure on an ongoing basis that they understand stakeholder expectations?
1: Sally, I think the, the one example I could think of uh, that demonstrates this is a uh, uh, a uh, process that's called pull scheduling, P-U-L-L pull scheduling. You you may have had experience with that.
0: Yes, I have.
1: You know, in the past, it it wasn't unusual that a a scheduler, uh, an expert scheduler, might work alone at a computer in an office somewhere, uh, and and take the beginning date of the project and the end date. And then fill in the blanks in between and doing that unilaterally from a distant uh, site, uh, not anywhere near the project site. Um, there'd be that, again, that would be kind of set in stone and, and based on what that one individual understood about the project and, and about the process. Uh, the schedule might be talked about, might be looked at in a, in a monthly meeting or a quarterly meeting but seldom really seen by anyone, particularly not seen by the people with feet on the ground that, that were actually uh, putting the work in place, physically doing the work. Pull scheduling is is a process where it brings all the stakeholders together in one place at one time, uh, and it's those people who are responsible for putting work in place. They, they know what it takes. They know what it takes for people, what equipment needs to be there, what tools need to be there. They know what space they need uh, to do their work. They know every step in the process to build to meet the expectations of the team and, and especially and importantly to meet the plans and the specifications uh, that are in place. So. They, they create a schedule now by, uh, identifying each milestone, each future date that's out there. And it may be that to turn over the, the cafeteria of, of a new school. It may be to turn over an, an assembly line, a product line, a process line on a, on a new plant or a existing plant. Uh, but they, they ask each contractor, each trade partner, uh, can you meet this date we here's Here's a date out here, six weeks away uh it's important that you meet this date. Maybe they're talking with the masonry contractor, and the contractor will speak up and say well no i i I don't see any way right now that I can meet that date so the then the question comes, well, what can we do to help you? What do you need to meet that date uh well, they uh, the, there's a crew of, uh, of, of workers in there. They've got scaffolding up and they're in the way. I can't, there's no room for me to do what I need to do. So then they turn and look to that contract and say, okay, what, what are you in there doing? What, what, how long is it going to take you? Do you need to be in there? So what they end up doing, they pull information from each stakeholder. Uh, they, they talk about the expectations and what each stakeholder can do to help the other. And they end up with, with a, uh, a schedule that everyone has agreed to and it, and it meets everyone's objectives. Uh, they've talked about conflicts, obviously, in this process. Uh, they've worked through that conflict. Uh, and as a team, Uh, they've come up with a desired result with a solution that will allow them to meet that milestone. So, uh, again, it's, it's getting input, real time input from those people who are, uh, actually in the know, uh, and aware of what they want to, what they want to accomplish.
0: Yeah, pool planning is such an effective process. And what I've observed is that for years, people working on projects, those people that were closest to the work, actually putting the work in place, they, they really <laughs> wanted somebody to ask them their opinion. I mean, they, they knew where the problems were. They, they knew what could and couldn't be done. But nobody asked them. And they were so frustrated by that. And so what I've observed is that when on a project, when they introduce (laughs) pool planning for the first time, those people are like, "Um, I'll believe it when I see it. And (laughs) and so they're skeptical and they're reluctant because they're not really sure this is going to happen.
1: Exactly. They were used to the. The, they were out doing the work and, and the, the project manager maybe would, would come out of the office after a two hour meeting and say, okay, we've got to have this done by October 6th. Right. What do you mean? We, there's no <laughs> way we could do it. Look, look at all this stuff that's in our way. Look at, and say, well, I'm sorry. but <laughs> So you're, yeah. you're, and you're right. I'm sure there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, I've seen it work, uh, so very well. I've seen, uh, sticky notes on the wall. Probably a thousand sticky notes on the wall and colors and uh, everything and it comes down uh, but at the end, you, as you say, those people who are responsible for actually putting work in place have a a say so uh, have uh, an opportunity to contribute and, and I think not only it, it turns out to be a, a great schedule that's doable, but I think it it makes them um, much um, happier if you will they they're much more um involved and uh much more satisfied in in doing the work now that they know their uh that their, their role is important and their uh voice has been heard if you will
0: Oh, absolutely. And then what happens is on the next project, they insist on using pool planning because they've seen it work so well. So, yes. uh, yeah, it's a great yeah, process. I, th- I think
1: that's a great example.
0: So. I, I do, too. So, Tom, I know you're a big believer in teamwork. And if I recall correctly, you told me one time that you were on the Clemson basketball team which I had not known for many years. <laughs> um, what did you learn about teamwork from playing sports that you believe also applies to doing construction projects?
1: Yeah, I think that was my most significant uh, team effort uh, as far as athletics go. I, I, I ran track uh, for a number of years, but uh, that's kind of a lone wolf uh, sport. The, uh, um, I was fortunate to be a, a walk-on on the freshman team at Clemson. And, um, that was when scholarship athletes could only play three years, uh, of what was, I guess, considered varsity, uh, sports. I learned from that experience, everyone on the team has a role to fill and, and each person is a accountable to the team to, to fill that role uh, as best they can to their best of their ability. So for me it meant uh, it meant showing up. number one, uh, it meant being prepared. Uh, I had to pay attention, uh, listen, I had to learn and develop as a player. The team was made up of, of eight scholarship players. And seven walk-ons and the walk-on tryouts, um, were done in the old Fike Fieldhouse. Oh, yeah.
0: I remember it well. I used uh, to swim in that building.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the first, uh, there must have been 140 guys show up to, to try really? out for these seven spots. And, uh, our coach, Art Musselman, uh, he was a, a great coach and a great gentleman. Um, he, uh, the first day of tryouts, those 140 students, if you can imagine this, uh, we didn't touch a basketball. Uh, we ran a lot and we did, uh, just up and down the court, uh, did some sprints, did some running. Um, and he eliminated about a hundred guys just based on conditioning.
0: Really? Uh,
1: he, he, he was a, a, a Marine. Uh, he played and coached the Marine basketball team after he uh, graduated from uh, Citadel. Uh, so he was a big proponent of conditioning. Uh, so I got to go to the second day, and and that day was all about fundamentals. Uh, it was all about dribbling, using both hands. Uh, it was about pivoting. It was about uh, setting picks and it, give and go, and and. Um, uh, rebounding. So it was very fundamental. And fortunately, I, I learned basketball by learning the fundamentals. So, uh, so I made it, uh, to the, to the third round and, and was eventually selected. Uh, we, the, the walk-ons, the seven of us, we, we typically, I don't think any of us ever became starters on the team. We, we got a bit of playing time that, uh, the, the coach got us in. Um, but he expected us and, and he told me, I expect you to prepare the starters each week, uh, to prepare each other on the team to be their best. Uh, he would point out examples of, of how hard work and commitment paid off in a game. He would point to, to a particular play or a particular move or, um, a scoring opportunity that that came from the hard work put in at practice. Uh, and he would always thank us for putting in the work. Uh, he uh, he would recognize uh, our participation, our contribution to the team, and uh, uh, he was a, a great coach. Uh, he went on to be an assistant coach at North Carolina State uh, and was involved in recruiting Dave Dave Thompson to North Carolina State and was was there with Norm Sloan when they won uh, uh, some, uh, some major games through that process.
0: I didn't know any of that, Tom. That's great. So from your experience of serving on teams like the basketball team and, and then other construction-related teams, what characteristics have you found that most successful teams have in common?
1: Sally, I think... Uh, number one is trust. Uh, I think uh, trust in each other, trust in the team, uh, working together, trust in the process uh, that you come about uh, in putting that team together. Uh, I, I think that's number one. And, and in that, I think it's uh, <clears throat> trustfulness. Uh being, being trustful of, of others on the team, having confidence and faith in that, uh, and I think trustworthiness, each individual uh, to be worthy of the trust that's given by others. Um, I think, secondly, is is unity uh, for the team, I, I, and I believe that comes about by showing respect for each other. Uh, Next, I think the accountability aspect I mentioned, uh, with basketball, uh, having a role to play and, and being accountable for my participation, for, for my contribution. Uh, I think that's, uh, uh, being accountable to the others on the team, uh, the carrying out my responsibilities and, and personal tasks that, that come along to me, uh, and then, as we talk about pool planning, uh, communicating effectively, uh, expressing ideas, making contributions, uh, particularly when it comes to expectations, uh, communicating expectations well, learning to listen and understand uh, the expectations of others. Uh, and then, I think finally, uh, the idea of recognizing the differences. That we have, uh, and uh, celebrating that, celebrating the the diversity, the different ideas, but uh, celebrating achievements together. That's the final thing that I see teams do. Uh, it's always fun to see that team come together at, at the end of a close match and 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 uh, hug each other. The Braves baseball winning the World Series uh, recently, and that you always see a picture of. One player jumping up and, yes. and uh, being held by another player, uh, but celebrating achievements together. I, I think that's a uh, uh, something that a, a high performing uh, team will always do.
0: Yeah, those are great characteristics. Thank you for sharing that. So, Tom, I have one last question for you. For a leader who might be listening to our conversation today who's struggling to build teamwork or struggling to clarify stakeholder expectations right now on their project. What advice would you have for them? What encouragement could you give them?
1: I think uh, the first thing I would encourage them with is that we, we are built by our creator to be in relationship. Uh, that you and I have had that conversation. We're built to be in relationship with Him, uh, with, with our Creator, uh, and with others. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're expected to, uh, be humble. Uh, but so I think, uh, setting the tone with, with that idea of being in relationship, I would, I would say, uh, the first thing is to, to talk with the individual, to, to set up that opportunity to, Uh, Talk and listen. I think to boldly face the person, but respectfully showing humility. Point out to that person what your expectation is and and why. Uh, I think it's important when people understand the why, uh, it's typically much easier for them to join in the process if i if i understand the why i'm going to i think understand the expectation better and be willing to participate state what your concern is that that your expectation hasn't been met uh whatever the 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 concern that you have and and ask for feedback at that point um ask for participation uh give time there may be some awkward silence in that in that situation but uh, ask for feedback Ask that person what uh, what they would like for you to do to help develop better teamwork. Is is there something that that they recognize that is a um, is is missing uh, idea of what teamwork needs to be in that in that case?
0: That's terrific, Tom. Thank you so much. That is going to be so helpful to people who are listening in on our conversation today. You have been a great friend for a long time. And Tom, I just thank you so much for joining me today and just having a really good conversation about how we can truly make a difference in the construction industry. So thank you.
1: You're welcome, Sally. I enjoyed it very much. I appreciate you including me.
0: As we get ready to wrap up today's episode, I'd like to ask you to do something for me. If you found this episode valuable, will you share it? That would mean so much to me. You can share this episode from whatever platform you're listening on today, or you can simply direct people to visit sallyloveinspires.com slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the Team of a Lifetime podcast, too, so that you can continue to get insight, real-life application, and the inspiration you need for transforming your team into the Team of a Lifetime. Thank you for joining me today. I'll be back with a new episode soon.